Operation Christmas Child, OCC, is a non-profit organization that is run by Samaritan's Purse and is growing every year. Last year in 2008, almost 8 million shoeboxes were collected in November to be given out in over 90 countries to children affected by war, poverty, disease, and natural disasters. This project touches the lives of the children and their families by showing them that someone cares enough to fill a shoebox just for them. Most of these children have never received a gift. For more information on how you can participate, you can visit www.samaritanspurse.org. The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. And Magovanin and Suilaid to all my elf friends, I am Tani Tanuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth Elf. And this is What Would Arwen Do on every other Friday morning on Alternating Weeks with Phenomenal Woman. And in case you are just tuning in for the very first time and you are wondering what in the world is this all about, this is the show where we ask, I ask, if a Middle Earth elf lived today in Orange County, California, what might her life look like? How would she celebrate and support the arts, music, her community, and the preservation of Earth, its beauty, resources, and creatures? Some people ask, what would Jesus do? Which is a very good question. I like to ask, what would Arwen do? And in case you're not familiar with who Arwen was, she was an elf princess, the daughter of Elrond, a prince among elves, and the lord of Rivendell, a magical place of healing lore and wisdom, perhaps not unlike the community of people here at UC Irvine. Arwen was also a beloved daughter of the universe, as are all the women of this fair celestial home called Earth, or an elvish Arda. Uh, but I believe that Arwen understood the principle of noblesse oblige, that with great privilege comes responsibility. She embodied the archetype of a true princess of the light through her courage, wisdom, beauty, her sense of humor and service to others. In Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings, A Guide to Middle-Earth, Tolkien scholar Colin Durias wrote, In his invented mythology of Middle-Earth, Tolkien intended that his elves were an extended metaphor of a key aspect of human nature. This, quote, elven quality in human life was a central preoccupation of Tolkien's. Elves? like dwarves, hobbits, and the like, partially represent human beings. In Tolkien's mythology, elves represent what is high and noble in humans. In particular, they represent the arts in their highest form, work done in the image of God and his created world. So I believe that this, quote, elven quality exists today in every living person and yearns for expression through gifts of creativity, nobility, and service to others. And I'm very excited. Um, this fourth year of the program, uh, I have a Hobbit co-host, which I will say good morning, Milo Loomsdown. Good morning, Tani, and I'm thankful to be here with you. Well, I'm very thankful that you are here, too. It has been a wonderful um, addition, new turn to my an elvish adventure, my now over seven-year experiment of my life as an elf, having you on the show, and it's just been absolutely delightful. This is uh, the Friday before Thanksgiving, and uh, so this morning we'll be talking about uh, things that we're thankful for and ways, um, <clears throat> we'll also be talking a little bit later about um, 
ways to maybe be open to some new things, maybe developing some new traditions around Thanksgiving. Oh, good. I like new traditions. Yes. <laughs> so do I. And the world is always full of surprises and people who inspire us to expand the way we think, which is one of the things I love about KCI. <clears throat> we are now in our 40th year. We just are celebrating our 40-year anniversary of being on the air here in Southern California. And... Um, being part of the community here at KCI has absolutely changed my life for the better, <clears throat> and so I'm very grateful for being here. I've only been here a very brief time, barely six months, and it has certainly changed my life for the better. Oh, wonderful. Um, well, we always like to share a little bit of Middle Earth culture and uh, things of Middle Earth with our um, with our listeners. And this morning, um, I think we have some... Some readings to do around the topic of food. Oh, yes, we do. Yes, we do indeed. <laughs> I think both hobbits and elves appreciate good food. And, of course, this is the holiday when uh, food is uh, food is the thing. <laughs> oh, we hobbits love our taters, and we especially love sweet potatoes. <laughs> well, in a, in a little bit, just a little bit later in the show, we have a very special guest, Trisha Berry who is the Communications Director for Farm Sanctuary. And Farm Sanctuary is the nation's leading farm animal protection organization. So we're going to be hearing from her about some things like the Adopt a Turkey program and uh, some ways for sitting, maybe considering about where do the traditions that we currently have, some of the traditions that we currently have, where do those, where do those come from? And uh, are they worth holding on to? Or maybe is it time to, to think about some new traditions around Thanksgiving? It's always good to be thinking about new things. Absolutely. And so I thought it would be nice this morning if we could um, have a couple of readings from um, the world of Middle Earth and the works of um, uh, Professor J.R.R. Tolkien. And we each have a couple of our favorite passages that actually have to do with food. Yes. And uh, so what is, the, what is the thing that you want to, are going to be reading this morning from? Well, this morning, Tani... There is a lovely, lovely part of the Lord of the Rings, chapter 7 of Fellowship of the Ring, in the house of Tom Bombadil. Mm. And this did not make it into the movie, and yet it is one of my favorite parts of all of the Lord of the Rings, a very, a very interesting keystone to the overall theme of the books. Mm. But there is a wonderful section near the beginning mm -hmm. when the... Elves, when the uh, when the elvish, I would say Tom Bombadil is neither man nor elf nor dwarf nor hobbit. Uh, he is something special. Um, but in this in this chapter, they talk about food, and uh, so I'd like to read from that. So Tom Bombadil is uh, speaking to the to the hobbits whom he's just rescued from some nasty situation uh, in the old forest. Come, dear folk, she said. In this case, it's Goldberry, taking Frodo, Frodo by the hand. Laugh and be merry. I am Goldberry, daughter of the river. Then lightly she passed them and closed the door. She turned her back to it with her white arms spread across it. Let us shut out the night, she said, for you are still afraid, perhaps, of mist and tree shadows and deep water and untamed things. Fear nothing, for tonight you are under the roof of Tom Bombadil. The hobbits looked at her in wonder, and she looked at each of them and smiled. Fair Lady Goldberry, said Frodo at last, feeling his heart moved with a joy that he did not understand. He stood as he had at times stood enchanted by fair elven voices, but the spell that was now laid upon him was different. Less keen and lofty was the delight, but deeper and nearer to mortal heart. Marvelous, and yet not strange. Fair Lady Goldberry, he said again, now the joy that was hidden in the songs we heard is made plain to me. O slender as a willow wand, O clearer than clear water, O reed by the living pool, fair river daughter, O springtime and summertime, and spring again after, O wind on the waterfall, and the leaves' laughter. Suddenly he stopped and stammered, overcome with surprise to hear himself saying such things. But Goldberry laughed. Welcome, she said. I had not heard that folk of the Shire were so sweet-tongued. 
but I see you are an elf friend. The light in your eyes and the ring in your voice tells it. This is a merry meeting. Sit now and wait for the master of the house. He will not be long. He is tending your tired beasts. The hobbits sat down gladly in low, rush-seated chairs, while Goldberry busied herself about the table, and their eyes followed her, for the slender grace of her movement filled them with quiet delight. From somewhere behind the house came the sound of singing. Every now and again they caught, among many a dairy-dole and merry-dole and a ring-a-ding-dillo, the repeated words, Old Tom Bombadil is a merry fellow, bright blue his jacket is and his belt boots are yellow. Fair lady, said Frodo again after a while, tell me, if my asking does not seem foolish, who is Tom Bombadil? He is, said Goldberry, staying her swift movements and smiling. Frodo looked at her questioningly. He is, as you have seen him, she said in answer to his look. He is the master of wood, water, and hill. Then all this strange land belongs to him? No, indeed, she answered, and her smile faded. That would indeed be a burden, she added in a low voice, as if to herself. The trees and the grasses and all things growing or living in the land belong each to themselves. Tom Bombadil is the master. No one has ever caught old Tom walking in the forest, wading in the water, leaping on the hilltops under light and shadow. He has no fear. Tom Bombadil is master. A door opened, and in came Tom Bombadil. He had now no hat, and his thick brown hair was crowned with autumn leaves. He laughed, and going to Goldberry took her hand. "'Here is my pretty lady,' he said, bowing to the hobbits. "'Here is my Goldberry, clothed all in silver green, with flowers in her girdle. "'Is the table laden? I see yellow cream, and honeycomb, and white bread, and butter, milk, cheese, and green herbs.' and ripe berries gathered. Is that enough for us? Mm, I love that. And, and it's very interesting because that was one of the chapters when I first began my uh, little life experiment of my life as an elf and what I learned. I think my list is up to 200 and something of things that I learned from the elves. But one of the things that I learned was that the elves do not consider themselves to be owners of the earth, but stewards. And we see that very well represented also by Tom Bombadil, that he didn't feel that he owned that forest, but that he was there as a steward of it. And the beautiful description of the food. <clears throat> there are several accounts, um, and I, I, was, I have looked through the books to see any account actually of um, elves, Eating elves, you know, and we certainly see in that passage that uh, there was there was not a necessity to have any kind of meat products. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? In this particular passage, we don't see uh, Tom and Goldberry having anything of uh, meat or fish or fowl nature mm -hmm. on their table. And yet it was considered quite a feast, and the hobbits greatly enjoyed it and were nourished and refreshed by it. And we hobbits know good food when we see it. And the <laughs> hobbits did not complain for a lack of, of meat. Absolutely. Um, so we're going to be talking a little bit more about that. Um, our guests should be calling in in a little bit. There's another um, <clears throat> passage uh, a little passage from the Silmarillion and another passage from the Fellowship of the Ring. But first I'd like to play a little song just in honor of um, Goldberry's statement, I see you are elf friends. And I thought this morning it would be nice uh, to hear some nice elfish music. Mm. Uh, for One of the things that I'm very grateful for in this world and am constantly just thankful for whenever I hear it is the beautiful music from the soundtracks of the Lord of the Rings movies. Uh, when I went to see the movies, I think one of the things that I just fell in love with was the music. And each consequent m m movie, I was always amazed at what is Howard Shore going to do next? He so richly deserved his, uh, his award, his Academy Award. Absolutely. So this, we're going to be hearing Even Star, uh, featuring Isabel Bayraktarian. Uh, this is from the CD, uh, the original uh motion picture, picture soundtrack of the, uh, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. So here is Evenstar. You are listening to What Would Arwen Do on KUCI in Irvine. <laughs>
And that was Evenstar from the motion picture soundtrack, The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, with the beautiful voice of Isabel Bayraktarian. Isn't that absolutely... It's it's (laughs) just tremendous. Uh, The music was not only tremendous as film music with the images, but as I've listened to it, thanks to you, Tanya, I've listened to it more and more as music on its own. It is just Mm -hmm. wonderful. Absolutely. That's one of my favorite, favorite pieces. Always kinds to help to draw me back down to the earth (laughs) when I'm feeling a little bit, you know, just not quite myself. I listen to some Elvish music and just transports me right back. So as I mentioned earlier, we do have a special guest that will be coming on in just a few moments, Trisha Berry, who is the communications director for Farm Sanctuary, uh, which is the nation's leading animal farm animal protection organization. And I wanted to thank you, Milo, so much for that beautiful reading from the House of Tom Bombadil from The Lord of the Rings. Well, you're quite welcome. It's one of my favorite passages in the entire thousand pages. Well, for myself, part of my motivation for uh, becoming uh, really committed to a vegetarian diet um, it has it has to do with some some personal things, but also um, one of my favorite stories from the Silmarillion is the story of Berlin and Lufien, and there's was one part here um, that is actually before it was while Berlin was still wandering as an outlaw before he met Lufien, um, in uh, dancing in the forest of Neldoreth. But I want to read here. It says about Berlin. Therefore, thereafter, for four years more. Beren wandered still upon Dorthonian, a solitary outlaw. But he became the friend of birds and beasts, and they aided him and did not betray him. And from that time forth he ate no flesh nor slew any living thing that was not in the service of Morgoth. And I remember the first time I read that passage, it was amazing to me because um, for myself, growing up as a child, I grew up here in Southern California, and, and at one uh, point when my uh, mother was uh, married to my stepfather, we moved to uh, Missouri and lived on a farm. And we had all kinds of wonderful little farm animals. Of course, um, I thought they were all our pets and friends. <laughs> and we had lots of chickens. We had just a bunch of chickens, and part of my job was to go out every day and scatter the seed around and feed the chickens. And I had some banty hens, uh, a couple of banty roosters and hens, and then, of course, all the other ones were just these white chickens. But I just loved them. And then one day it was announced to us that it was time to put the chickens in the freezer. And it was an absolutely traumatic event for me because um, I didn't, realize why we needed to put the chickens in the freezer and eat them. We had a garden full of vegetables. Why did we need to eat the chickens? And at that point, I realized, I mean, all my life, I never really knew where chicken came from. I just had eaten it. But it's quite different when you're thinking about what to have for dinner and you have to actually go out in your yard and and kill it and eat it. And, you, you know, I think if more people actually, if we were closer to where our food comes from, we might make some different choices. So for me, it was it was a very difficult, traumatic day. Um, here I was having to to slaughter my friends uh, to put them into the freezer, and uh, from that time on, I never really wanted to. You know, I just never got the same enjoyment out of eating chicken. And many years later, I now have decided. You know, I don't need to ever do that again. You know, it's I just uh, it's because some people say, "Oh, you're vegetarian, but do you eat chicken?" And I usually say, "No, I especially don't eat chicken." <laughs> Not that I share the story with them, but um, I realized, you know, when when it came to that, I thought, when well, we do have a garden full of vegetables. Why do we have to? Why do we have to eat our friends? Absolutely, you'll note, and of course, as a hobbit, I'm sort of practical. And by the way, we hobbits, we do like our, oco- our occasional conies. We like a little bit of bacon, but in fact, uh, um, it must be pointed out that. Currently, practical science points out that you need to have five servings of fruit and vegetables every day. It doesn't tell you anywhere that you have to eat meat or fowl or Mm. fish. Mm -hmm. Although fish is strongly recommended because of omega-3s, nowhere in the government guidelines does it say that it strongly urges you to eat meat. It urges you to eat your fruits and vegetables. And in fact, science now tells us that you can get your entire amino acid profile 
from vegetable sources. Absolutely. There are very many ways to get all the protein you need from the gifts of the earth. So I'm very excited um, because, uh, as I mentioned before, our guest this morning, Trisha Berry, from, uh, who is the communications director of Farm Sanctuary. And I just want to tell our listeners a little bit about Farm Sanctuary. <clears throat> and if you are just tuning in, uh, this is KUCI in Irvine. I am Tani Genuviel, my co-host, Hobbit co-host, Milo Lomestown, and this is uh, What Would Arwen Do on Every Other Friday Morning. Uh, but Farm Sanctuary, Farm Sanctuary is the nation's leading farm animal protection organization. Since incorporating in 1986, Farm Sanctuary has worked to expose and stop cruel practices of the, quote, food animal in- industry through research and investigations, legal and institutional reforms, public awareness projects, youth education, and direct rescue and refuge efforts. Farm Sanctuary shelters in Watkins Glen, New York, and Orland, California, provide lifelong care for hundreds of rescued animals who have become ambassadors for farm animals everywhere by educating visitors about the realities of factory farming. And Milo, I think it's interesting because here in Southern California, we don't see too many farm animals because we're, you know, right here, you know, in Irvine and in the LA area. But uh, a lot of us are involved with uh, rescuing uh, dogs and cats and give time to local animal shelters. And because we have a special kind of emotional connection to dogs and cats, we, you know, we would never think about eating our our dog or cat (laughs) for Thanksgiving dinner because we have this emotional connection. And so I'm very thankful for people like um, Farm Sanctuary who are helping us to realize that um, all, all creatures and animals are um, special and shouldn't be discarded just because we don't have an emotional, you know, kind of a traditional emotional attachment to them. And we certainly shouldn't mistreat any animal. Any living creature on the earth should never be mistreated. Absolutely. Well, I want to see if our guest is here. Tricia, are you there? Yes, I am. Good morning, Tricia. Thank you so very much for coming on the program this morning and Good helping morning. to bring awareness to uh, this issue of... Um, of animal, f- of uh, um, farming for, um, I'm sorry, <laughs> for protecting animals that are uh, commercially raised. Uh-huh. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. Well, I, I shared a little bit about uh, what Farm Sanctuary is, and could you tell us a little bit about this uh, thing called the Adopt-A-Turkey Project? Sure. Uh, well, this year marks uh, the 23rd anniversary of Farm Sanctuary's Adopt-A-Turkey Project. Um, it's a national project that has saved more than 1,000 turkeys from slaughter, and we've encouraged millions of people to rethink their traditional Thanksgiving menus. Um, the, the, the project offers ideas and solutions for people who wish to celebrate a compassionate Thanksgiving holiday and start a new tradition by saving a turkey instead of eating one. Um, so some families are adopting turkeys into their homes where rescued birds live out the rest of their natural lives in peace and safety, while others are adopting turkeys who live at Farm Sanctuary through sponsorship donations. Wow. That, um, well, that is, I, uh, some of this just is breath is, um, I almost can't talk about it just because it, it, uh, um, I think that, could you please explain a little bit about, um, commercially raised uh, animals mm-hmm. and commercially raised turkeys. I think there's, as I was doing research for this show, um, it, it was very it was very difficult, but I think there's a lot of things that um, most Americans don't know about commercially raised turkeys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, well, every year between 250 and 300 million turkeys are bred for slaughter in the United States. And sadly, these turkeys are not protected under most state anti-cruelty laws, and they are specifically exempt from the Federal Humane Slaughter Act. Um, So to meet consumer demand for white meat, commercial turkeys have been um, anatomically manipulated uh, through through, um, generations of selective breeding to have abnormally large breasts. As a result, the birds cannot mount and reproduce naturally, and the industry now relies on artificial insemination as the sole means of reproduction for these animals. Um, In addition, most factory farm turkeys, um, comprising the vast majority of turkeys raised for holiday dinners, um, endure painful beak and toe mutilations 
because they're given only about three square feet of space in which to live their lives. Um, and through all of this physical manipulation, the industry has yet to grow an animal who does not feel pain and is not curious, social, or friendly. Um, hence why we have the adopt a turkey project to raise awareness about um, the way these animals um, are, are raised in factory farming. Um, well, a lot of people say, well, I get my turkey, uh, you know, I always get free range um, or organic or natural turkeys. Could you could you talk a little bit about that? Because I think sometimes yeah. we kind of justify it saying, oh, but, you know, they're, they're free range turkeys. They've, they've been running around the countryside having right. a good time. Well, first, it's, it's important to note that uh, more than 99% of the turkeys uh, that are slaughtered in the United States for food um, are, are raised in factory farm settings. That means that less than 1% of these animals um, have any sort of a free-range um, label or organic label. Um, and unfortunately, the labels um, oftentimes um, do not the, – the, the vision that people have of what free-range means or what organic means oftentimes does not um, – coincide with uh, the reality of the situation. Um, most people don't envision physical mutilations as part of their natural free-range or organic turkey, but mutilations from debeaking to toe removal are still performed at free-range farms. Um, they're a source of continual pain for the birds and can make eating and walking difficult. And... Um, Free-range and organic birds um, are also genetically manipulated to grow at unnaturally fast rates. Um, there are very few farms in this country that actually produce what they call heritage birds um, that are not bred from this line um, that has been um, bred for um, for uh, bred to grow at unnaturally fast rates. So, um, so the vast majority of free-range and organic turkeys. Um, they're still uh, produced through artificial insemination, and they order, you know, the birds from, you know, these these massive hatcheries. Um, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture does not limit free-range animal density or flock size. Um, and these turkeys, um, so these turkeys are often packed, uh, very uh, crowded, very tightly um, together on free-range farms. Um, so even though they're supposed to grant outdoor access. Um, after about a month of life, depending upon the weather, there are no specific requirements for this access. Um, the provision for outdoor access, therefore, is practically meaningless. Um, and in the winter, um, the birds are not required by federal regulations to have access to the outdoors at all. Um, and birds are slaughtered, turkeys are, are, are normally slaughtered at about 14 to 16 weeks of age. Um, and so birds that are raised during the winter month, months don't, ever get to see the light of day, um, even if they have a free-range label. Um, the, the, I think uh, one of the things that um, was brought up um, <clears throat> is that a lot of times we care very deeply about um, not being cruel to animals that we have an emotional connection to. Mm -hmm. And uh, it seems like a lot of times um, people don't really think of turkeys as uh, even being an animal, you know, it's just a bird. But <clears throat> And they may think, oh, well, turkeys are just kind of dumb. And, you know, are these turkeys really suffering? Could you, could you talk a little bit about, you know, is it, is it true that turkeys are dumb? Um, actually, I, I would I would disagree with that. Um, I think that I, I would invite anyone to actually um, meet um, meet turkeys uh, face to face. That's one one of the reasons why we have our celebrations for the turkeys at our sanctuaries um, in California and in New York is for an opportunity for people to actually meet them and to see how incredibly curious um, and sentient they are. Um, there is a tendency for people who eat turkeys or other animals to perceive food animals as unworthy or undeserving of respect and compassion. And I think one way for people to rationalize their choice to eat animals is to dismiss them as dumb. Um, there's even a rumor that turkeys are so dumb that they'll look up in the rain and drown. Um, and this claim is ridiculous mm -hmm. um, and completely false. In the 23 years that we've been rescuing these animals, when it rains, the turkeys go inside their barn. Um, so <laughs> no one who ever, uh, who works at Farm Sanctuary has ever seen a turkey drown in the rain. Uh, it just doesn't happen. So I, I think that oftentimes there are these myths that are created um, about food animals um, to make it seem as though they are lesser than 
um, animals that we would consider as companions. But the reality is that each individual animal, they have their own personality, and they, have the, and they have their own reasons for wanting to live mm-hmm. um, as well. And when you give them the opportunity to live, it's amazing to see how much uh, they flourish. Um, we have turkeys that are six-year-old, uh, seven-year-old turkeys um, at our sanctuaries, and they have, you know, their social groupings um, and friends uh, of, with other turkeys um, w- within their flocks. And, um, and so there's, you know, they're, they're, they, they have an, a need and, and their own want to live. Uh, Trish, thank you so much. This is Milo. And a couple of practical points maybe are in order. One is on the history of the turkey and mm-hmm. our disregard for it as an animal. Um, one of the greatest Americans, Benjamin Franklin, strongly mm-hmm. advocated that the turkey be our national bird, that it be right. our national emblem. Mm-hmm. And I think that says something about the nature of the turkey as an animal, that it has a certain nobility that is perhaps uncommon. Mm-hmm. And so that's one thing to point out about uh, about turkeys as, as, as important mm-hmm. elements of our society. If anyone's ever seen a, a wild turkey, you'll see how, you know, sleek and fast they are. Um, they're actually, they're beautiful, beautiful they birds. They are absolutely gorgeous. And they're, they're native um, to North America. In fact, they're the only food animals um, that are commercially produced um, in this country that actually are native um, to, to North America. Um, and it's really sad to see um, when you look at commercially bred turkeys versus uh, wild turkeys and, um, and how wild turkeys um, will live many, many years um, in the wild if they're not hunted. Um, and, and so they, um, they, they, they have agility, they have strength, um, they blend into their surroundings. And if you look at a commercially bred turkey, you will see um, what we have done to these birds um, mm-hmm. through this selective breeding um, to create uh, a bird that, you know, is it can be clumsy, um, has a hard time, can no longer fly, can no longer reproduce on their own. Um, and it's, it's so sad to see that, you know, this is what we have done to this majestic bird. Yes, and the other practical point, I mean, not only the sadness of the mistreatment, which is really mm-hmm. horrendous, but also another practical point, as Tani showed me the data that you've gathered in preparation for our program today, I mm-hmm. went to your website and did some collateral research, and it's it's sad. But it raised a point in my mind that hadn't occurred to me. Again, Tani is a vegetarian. Milo is not. I'm not a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. But it occurred to me for the last 15, 20, 30 years that I've been having turkey at Thanksgiving, I've always had to put cranberry sauce on it to get any flavor. <sighs> the last time mm-hmm. that I had turkey that actually tasted any good that wasn't like you know, bland pablum, it mm-hmm. was it was what you described as a heritage turkey. It was a turkey mm-hmm. that was raised on a real small farm by real <laughs> farmer, and he had a small coop of real turkeys, mm-hmm. and he sold them for food, and I was lucky enough to have that particular kind of bird once, uh, and it tasted, I must say, very, very delicious. But it's so completely different than these these mass farm-raised animals, completely, mm-hmm. completely different. Well, you know, it's, um, it's interesting to me that um, because the eagle being our national bird, no one would consider or want to have an eagle right. <laughs> for their Thanksgiving dinner or for probably right. any dinner. Um, but we, we have this tendency, um, I mean, and even just with regards to the genetic manipulation uh, for breeding these animals, it's like... Um, I don't know. I guess there's a part of me that just says, what What makes us think we have the right mm-hmm. to genetically manipulate creatures on this planet for our convenience and just because we want to have something um, to eat? And I... I I can't. I I would be willing to bet an entire month's salary that there's um, not anyone that I know personally that if I went to their house and we and we were going to get ready for dinner, and um, 
and I, and they said, okay, well, what are we having for dinner? Well, let's still have chicken. It's like, okay, well, let's go out in the yard and find a chicken and we'll kill it. We'll chop off its head. We'll put it in boiling water and pluck it and, you know, drain all the blood out. And my, everyone I know would say, you know, why don't we have rice? <laughs> I don't know of anyone really who, if they had to actually go and kill the chicken right. or the turkey and have it for dinner, that would actually choose to do that. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, then that's oftentimes, um, that also speaks to uh, much of what we say as well when people are, you know, asked about, well, can you recommend, you know, um, so-called humane alternatives? And my answer to that question would be, you know, investigate for yourself. It's up to each, and, each individual, each one of us to determine, you know, what we want to put in our bodies and, and the choices that we make. Um, and um, anyone that I know who has visited a turkey farm, uh, they come away with a very different um, different uh, perception than, than what, you know, they, they initially, you know, thought about it. I, I think any of these any of these factory farms and and the reality is um, most people can't even get into these factory farms. Right. Um, it, it's impossible uh, for uh, for for the general public to actually even see how these animals are raised. Um, and what does that say about an industry that does everything in its power to to mask the reality of what ninety nine more than ninety nine percent of of the animals raised for food to, to mask the conditions that they that they live under and, and, and not allow people to see it. One of the wonderful things about your website, which is... Farmsanctuary.org or yes. adoptaturkey.org. Yes. Those Thank wonderful you. websites, uh, farmsanctuary.org points out the chemicals. I mean, I couldn't believe it. The chemicals that we're putting in our, our bodies... Mm-hmm. By eating these industrial right. farm animals, it's just unbelievable. Right. Well, the levels of the the actually the factory farming industry, um, animal agriculture uses more antibiotics than humans do, um, uh, and they purchase more antibiotics from the drug companies than um, than uh, the the healthcare industry does for uh, for for humans, um, and. The, by keeping these animals confined um, by the thousands um, in these these uh, warehouse-like uh, sheds, um, it's a breeding ground uh, for infectious disease. And one of the ways to try to um, subdue that is is to just um, provide antibiotics, um, non-therapeutic antibiotics for all of the animals. Now, unfortunately, what that does is is um, that propagates more virulent strains um, of um, of infectious diseases that um, that are antibiotic resistant. So now we see all of these cases of um, I don't know if you've uh, heard of MRSA, which is um, a um, uh, a, a very highly infectious skin disease. Um, of course, we've heard of swine flu, and, and there are um, leading evidence is, is leaning towards, you know, the, the origination of, you know, swine flu in, in factory farms. Um, and so you see, um, we will be seeing more of this um, as factory farming has propagated um, because, unfortunately, it's, it's, it's just the, the result of keeping that many animals confined in one area. And I, I think from from my perspective, I think it's unfortunate that we can't be motivated enough by compassion for these animals to to possibly consider. But if even if you can't at this point, if 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 you're just not quite there uh, with regards to honoring them just as creatures who deserve to live, then. At, at least consider, even from a perspective of the your own health and the health right. of your family, um, yeah. as and to whether children. or not this is a good practice. And yes, mm-hmm. um, I'd like for us. We just have about about ten minutes left. And again, my guest, our guest this morning is Trisha Berry, the communications director uh, for Farm Sanctuary, the nation's leading farm animal protection organization. Their website is farmsanctuary.org, and for the Adopt a Turkey program. Uh, adoptaturkey.org and um, I guess I'd like for us to end on kind of a positive note this morning I I, I don't want anybody to feel guilty that they've already, you know, gotten their turkey or they're planning. But my my goal and hope is that 
um, that we would just be open to considering some new things. Maybe this year is just the year that you just, with intention, look at your Thanksgiving meal and say, you know, all of this wonderful food that we have here, would it really be so diminished if we just left out the meat aspect of it? You know, there are so many wonderful dishes, uh, vegetarian dishes, and I want to thank you also because there are some delightful recipes uh, on the website at uh, um, org. Just a whole bunch of, in fact, this one uh, recipe here for baked acorn squash with pecans. I'm planning Yummy, a- yummy, yummy. <laughs> Yummy, yes. yummy. The <laughs> so, hobbit wants to eat it now. <laughs> <laughs> so there are just so many, um, and and uh, even as I was thinking about this the last few years, because a, a couple of years I, you know, kind of went to families and uh, gatherings, and I just, you know, opted not to eat, to eat the turkey. Um, and what I realized is I had just as great a dinner. I felt just as, I felt, probably felt better than if I would have had the turkey, but I still had plenty to eat and plenty to, and had room for dessert. And I, I didn't feel like I'd missed anything at all by not having the meat aspect of the meal. Mm-hmm. And in fact, due to your website, uh, Milo, that's me, Milo this year will not be having turkey at the dinner. I'm going to opt out of that and just stuff myself silly with all the other good food. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm so glad to hear that. (laughs) One of the things that could be on your website would be the Mm -hmm. fact that if for historical reasons or something you just absolutely have to have a turkey at the dinner table, why not make a turkey cake? Wilton makes a wonderful form in a turkey shape where you could bake a turkey cake, right? A a cake in the shape of a turkey. And then you could decorate it. They have have directions on how to decorate it with icing. And so you Uh have your turkey for a dessert, but it wouldn't be... Uh, a horrible, mistreated animal. It would just be some some wheat and so forth mm-hmm. in, the, in, yeah. in the cake form. That's a great idea. That's great. We also have um, uh, recommendations to um, for uh, for main courses um, as well that you know are just as satisfying as uh, you know what uh, that, that that provide provides you with the protein that you know that you would get from from eating meat and um and there are aside from um main courses that you can um prepare yourself um there there's a lot of things available on the store shelves too that um i just want to bring up for just ease of i know my my husband and i we when we go to celebrate uh thanksgiving with um his his family um they're not uh vegetarian so they they have a turkey but we bring uh, a field roast, it's called, um, and we, we just purchase a field roast, which is like a, a small stuffed, um, I believe it's made with seitan, which is like a wheat gluten mm-hmm. um, and, and tofu, and it's, um, it's delicious. And I make some herb gravy uh, to go with it, and um, and it's just as if you know, as if we you know we're, we're able to celebrate with with everyone, but we have our own you know own main dish that we provide. Milo yeah. is drooling, drooling, <laughs> drooling. Well, and this is the thing. I think that sometimes we get this idea. It's like, well, of course we have to have turkey for Thanksgiving. It's a tradition, but mm-hmm. why can't be? Why can't we be open? If if, if we are evolving human beings mm-hmm. as we uh, evolve in our consciousness, why can't we consider, well, why why don't we modify our tradition? If mm-hmm. Even if we want to keep the tradition of having turkey, you know, which, and, and I love that on your website, there's actually an interesting thing about if people want to know where this tradition came from, it's really yeah. relatively <laughs> new, but if, if you want to keep... It has a lot keep, to do with uh, marketing by the American poultry industry. <laughs> absolutely, just like with the card industry. How many of us mm-hmm. feel like, you know... Um, now there's a card, like er, there's some card events every other weekend and you can, you know, you spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars a year on Hallmark cards. Well, mm-hmm. you know, where did that come, where did all of that come from? Right. But, but you could still have your tradition, but mm-hmm. perhaps you could be grateful that this year you're having a turkey cake mm-hmm. or you're having a turkey substitute and being grateful for, um, the knowledge that you have that you're now, um, creating a more compassionate world for for yet another creature to, to live in. And mm-hmm. if some of us would move away from purchasing these turkeys this year, maybe next year they wouldn't produce 
and you know, year after year, eventually we could get down to where we're not producing so many of these turkeys that have uh-huh. to be in these very cruel environments. Exactly. I, I think that that's that's exactly the point of of the entire adopt a turkey adopt a turkey project. I mean, we even suggest too that you know, if you want to have a, a turkey as the centerpiece, sponsor a turkey, and you can get. Um, we we send a, a little. Um, Gift uh, a little certificate with a photo of the turkey that people have sponsored, and a lot of people will do that, where they'll set up, you know, the the photo of the turkey that they've sponsored that's living at Farm Sanctuary, and they're honoring, you know, that that bird, um, and then um, you know they celebrate with their vegan uh, vegan feast. So it's um, it's an, a, definitely a way to start a new a new a new tradition. Now, can people still participate? Because uh, Thanksgiving is just less than a week away. Can people still sponsor a turkey and get a picture of a little turkey to have on their uh, table in um, place of I'm, their cooked turkey? At this point, unfortunately, um, it, the the deadline has passed to be able to get your certificate in time for Thanksgiving. But we do leave the site up so that people can still sponsor if they if they like. Um, you can still sponsor so that you know that you're supporting supporting um, the turkeys the turkeys that live here at the sanctuary. So um, so we do uh, even beyond Thanksgiving and, and through the holidays, people will sponsor uh, sponsor turkeys through the Adopt a Turkey Project. Um, but yeah, unfortunately. Uh, we, we would not be able to get um, get the sponsorship certificate to people in time if they were to order at this point. But maybe this year is the year that we just begin to move a little, a little to, you know, mm-hmm. we're just open. You know, you know, a lot of times change doesn't happen, big change doesn't happen overnight. A lot of it, it becomes um, incremental through awareness. So maybe this year um, there are, what if there were, just, just per considering, maybe one out of, say, ten people that would decide this year, you know, this year I'm not going to get a turkey. I'm going to go to uh, Farm Sanctuary adopt a tur- or Adopt a Turkey org and download a picture of one of the turkeys that's been rescued, rescued there and put it on my table. If maybe one out of ten people, then next year maybe they would produce ten percent less turkeys mm-hmm. in the in the commercial industry. That would be that many less turkeys that would have you know would be produced and put through the that trial of life, and and so you know just making just making us a, a small difference or or even this year. As I mentioned before, if you if you're listening and you've already uh, purchased your turkey and you're committed uh, to that, just be open to to experiencing your holiday and saying and saying, well, what if I hadn't had the turkey? What if I what if we would have just had all of these other wonderful sweet potatoes and pies and uh, yam dishes and green salads and lentil dishes and all of these other things? Would would the uh, holiday really have been diminished really at all had we just eliminated? the meat aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And Milo is going to do that. I'm going to do that experiment this year thanks to this information that I now have. Great. And in two weeks, we'll have the Elvish Adventure Report about uh, our Thanksgiving with our meatless Thanksgivings. Sounds right. good. Trisha, I want to. Uh, uh, um, unfortunately, we are out of time, but I want to thank you so much again. My guest, our guest, has been Trisha Berry, the communications director director for Farm Sanctuary, and um, which you can visit their website, farmsanctuary.org or adoptaturkey.org. And the recipes, the recipes are on the Adopt a Turkey um, website. Is that right? Yes, we have uh, appetizers, main courses, side dishes, side dishes, and desserts. Wonderful. Well, Tricia, thank you so very much for being in the world, who you are as an advocate for our animal friends. Well, and, thank uh, you for what you do for the animals as well. Well, um, thank you. You you guys are the ones out there doing doing the, the work. And there's information uh, that people can get, especially if you are listening in from the New York area. And we want to say very thank you. Uh, thank you to all of our friends who listen in from all over the world through the Internet. Um, but you, the um, celebration for the turkeys pro, uh, project is is coming up um, real soon here, isn't it? The- yes, uh, the celebration for the turkeys are this weekend. We have one at our Orland, California sanctuary, one at our Watkins Glen sanctuary, and then we also have a very special uh, brunch that is planned at the tavern. It's a vegan brunch planned at the Tavern on the Green in New York City this year on Sunday. Oh my gosh, one of the great restaurants in New York City. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. We should get in a plane and fly out there. <laughs> well, Trisha, again, thank you so very much, and I look forward to 
perhaps having you on the program again sometime in the future, and we can talk about some other some of the other animals that could use uh, so, some of our consideration. Anytime, please feel free to contact me. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Tricia. We'll talk to you Thank later. You. Take care. Bye bye. So, wow, the time wow. goes by so fast, and that was that was great information. Um, going to farmsanctuary.org, I learned so much, and certainly this this Thanksgiving. You know, I realize that the the regular taste of the Thanksgiving turkey has been so bland, I've had to load it down with cranberry salad. This year, <laughs> I'm just going to have the cranberry salad and skip that uh, yeah, just nasty it. turkey uh, that's been so uh, mistreated. Yeah. Well, thank you, Milo, for being here and sharing this time. It's It's been a difficult morning for me. I almost lost it there a couple of times. Um, you know, but... Again, you know, on a positive note, if we can just expand our awareness of these things and um, be open to changing the things, perhaps the doing things, new. yeah, try something new, do something a little differently, and uh, who knows, your life will be might be enriched by that, and the world will be enriched. Absolutely, and our time is up, but we will be back in two weeks. Thank you, Tani. Thank you, thank welcome. you. I'm so thankful for Thanksgiving. I have so many things to be thankful for. I thank. I'm thankful for my family thankful for good health, thankful for a wonderful co-host like you. Well, thank you. I'm very grateful for you and for so many wonderful things. So hopefully for this Thanksgiving, that will be the theme that we will take time during our days to really count our blessings because there are so many that we enjoy. There are so many. And with that, we're going to go out with a a song from the uh, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, the complete recordings, a very festive song for a festive time of the year. And this is Flaming Red Hair, the dance uh, from from Bilbo's birthday party. Hooray! Yes, with uh, uh, Rosie and uh, Sam dancing. So this is KCI in Irvine. You have been listening to What Would Arwen Do on every other Friday morning with... Me, Tani Tinuvio, and my co-host, Milo Lomsdown. See you in two weeks. <laughs> Absolutely. Alin salalumen amentielvo. A star shines on the hour of our meeting. <laughs>